Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another book review uh, by uh, myself, your host Josh, and uh, your co-host Blake. Uh, we both read a book that launched this year called Star Wars Shadow of the Sith, written by Adam Christopher. This book launched uh, June 28th this year by uh, under the Delray Random House Worlds label. And it's got 496 pages with 67 chapters. Takes place eight years prior to The Force Awakens. Let's get into it. Another happy landing. Stand out in the crowd. <laughs> it's good to see you too, old buddy. This is General Lando Calrissian. We know who he is, 3PO. It is an honor, General. General Calrissian, we're looking for Exegol. Of course you are. Only two were made. A Sith Wayfinder. Luke Skywalker came here to find one. <laughs> I know. I was with him. Luke and I were telling an old Jedi hunter, Hochi of Bastoon. He was carrying a clue that could lead to a Wayfinder. We followed the ship halfway across the galaxy here. When we got to a ship, it was abandoned. No clue, no Wayfinder. Is Hochi's ship still here? It's out in the desert where he left it. We need to get to that ship. Search it again. All right, that's a little soundbite from The Rise of Skywalker and uh, the very first moment that you first meet Lando in the movie and the first time that you actually see him in the whole sequels. And uh, this book is really just kind of a... Uh, it's, I guess we could call it like a tie-in material into The Rise of Skywalker in a way. I mean... Yeah, I, I would say it actually goes beyond a step beyond that and helps to make the plot of rise of skywalker actually make sense mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, I would even like to... yeah specifically that like clip you just played yeah that's that's a big part of it where to me that that it seemed like this really convoluted like side story that you kind of crammed in there just to explain why lando's here and this the whole yeah way <laughs> thing. it just kind of came out of nowhere uh so this this book was very sorely needed to really expand that and yeah. make that make a lot more sense in context. 
Yeah, yeah. And and not to draw too much attention onto uh, my personal feelings about that movie, but uh, the, the small little audio bite we just heard, um, you know, from a minor criticism point of view, it's so rushed. You know, it's just like, boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. It's like, hey, we le- yeah. we meet Lando. And then 3PO's like, this is Lando. We know who he is. Okay, how do you know who he is? I don't know. But then, you know, just keep going and going and going. And then like, oh, yeah, we're looking for Exegol. <laughs> boom, next scene. And then he like whips out his hologram. Uh, Archie Bastoon, you had the clue to have yeah. like a, a wayfinder, and he's like, "Dude, what? Like, what is going yeah. on here?" You know, there was so much yeah. like just yeah. kind of fly, whizzing by, and uh, this book is—I uh, feel like back in the day when they were doing the other movies, they did this project which um, had labels on the books called Journey to, you know, the 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 Force Unleashed, or uh, sorry, the Force Awakens, or they had Journey to the Last Jedi, and. Um, it would be books that kind of has a loose connection to the film and they're kind of segueing you into the movie with various little things that might have something to do with the plot. And uh, as far as I'm aware of, I think there was only two that came out before The Rise of Skywalker and it was a, a spark uh, of the resistance or something. It was a book about Rey. And then there was one called Resistance Lots Reborn. Yeah, lots of sparks. Yeah, spark of resistance. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. Where's the fire? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, there there was one called Resistance Reborn, and that was under the Del Rey label as well. And it was uh, it was actually not half bad. It was more just kind of political backstory to how the resistance is kind of reforming after the events of the Last Jedi, which was kind of needed context as well, and it helped a little bit going into the last movie. But this book, on the other hand, was like where was this like eight years ago? Like, like this book could have been needed yeah. even before the force awakens. I, in my opinion, I think like, Oh, I agree. But yeah. the problem was the way that the story was written, <clears throat> like, cause it wasn't, it was kind of written as they developed the films. So they couldn't have done it because back then this story thread didn't exist. Right. Totally. Yeah. And that is just like, uh, they're retroactively kind of like trying to make sense of the, the bits and pieces of, of the stories that just kind of happened. Right. Just, you know, what's funny though is JJ may have accidentally stumbled into exactly what George did. And, but George did intentionally where George just threw in all these, these different story details that they could be expanded to make this huge universe. Right. You just hear like in passing, like Cologne Wars, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then, AJ Abrams was forced to like do all this random backstory to explain what's happening. And now it was very confusing to watch, but now we have all this stuff that they got to fill in the blanks for. So there's a lot of like seeds for stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let's go over kind of what the details of this book is. Uh, It takes place uh, eight years prior to the force awakens, uh, which is 21 years after the battle of Yavin. That would be the events in episode six, return of the Jedi. And uh, here is the plot summary. It is a time of peace as the uh, ashes of the Galactic Empire cool. The New Republic works to establish a new era of freedom and cooperation. While Jedi Master Luke Skywalker trains the next generation of younglings at his temple, but there is a dark shadow growing in the Force as former Rebel Alliance General Lando Calrissian continues his search for his kidnapped daughter, Cultists of the hidden world of Exegol work to enact plans a generation in the making. Meanwhile, in the depths of wild space, a terrified young family makes a desperate journey, fleeing agents of an evil presence the galaxy has long thought to be dead. 
Um, and then here is the publisher summary, which adds a few more details in this. Luke Skywalker and Lando Calrissian return in this essential novel set between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. The Empire is dead, nearly two decades on from the Battle of Endor. The tattered remnants of Palpatine's forces have fled to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. But for the heroes of the New Republic, danger and loss are ever-present comp uh, companions. Even in this newly forged era of peace, Jedi Master Luke Skywalker is haunted by visions of the dark side, foretelling an ominous secret growing somewhere in the depths of space on a dead world called Exegol. The disturbance in the Force is undeniable, and Luke's worst fears are confirmed when his old friend Lando Calrissian comes to him with reports of a new Sith menace. After his daughter was stolen from his arms, Lando searched the stars for any trace of his lost child. But every new rumor only led to dead ends and fading hopes, until he crossed paths with Archie of Bestoon, a Sith assassin tasked with kidnapping a young girl. Archie's true motives remain shrouded to Luke and Lando, for on a junkyard moon a mysterious envoy of the Sith Eternal has bequeathed a sacred blade to the assassin, promising that it will give him answers to the questions that have haunted him since the Empire fell. In exchange, he must complete a final mission, return to Exegol with the key to the Sith's glorious rebirth, the granddaughter of Darth Sidious himself, Rey. As Archie hunts Rey and her parents to the edge of the galaxy, Luke and Lando race into the mystery of the Sith's lingering shadow and aid a young family running for their lives. Great detailed summary. In my opinion, that's, uh, you know, that, that summed it up pretty well. Uh, but yeah. now we're heading into spoiler territory here. So, um, just as like a, you know, just, just kind of have at it for like, uh, as many, as much time as you need. But what did you think of this book? I think it was extremely sorely needed and it filled in a lot of context that was honestly, as I mentioned earlier, we're just like completely missing and made the, the film feel like stuff came out of left field. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they did a really good job with it overall, but I, th the only issue I found was the bad guys where their how, how how they came to their end was both of them was quite terrible i mm -hmm. thought <laughs> other than that though like all the the lando stuff and the luke stuff was great and then i, I thought uh following lando as he's trying to figure out uh where his his daughter was kidnapped he's been searching for her for like 10 years or something at this point so obviously all the uh, trails gone cold so he's just like He's he's we've never seen Lando in this position where he's quite uh, heart stricken and like depressed, and he's kind of lost his way. And throughout this novel, he he kind of gets it back, which is I thought was a, a good story arc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, what were your thoughts on, uh, of course, reading? I think in the Del Rey collection, I think I think this is probably one of the first uh, or one of the few books that we've had a very much Luke Skywalker focused narrative. Uh, what did you think of that? Uh, being the last one that we've read was probably Heir to the Jedi, the one where he's trying to move a noodle <laughs> in the Force. <laughs> it, has it been that long? Yeah, the main yeah, it and has. Yeah, um, main character for the for the Del for the Del Rey novels. Yes, yeah, it's that's the last one that I think he that I, that Man. comes to mind that he was the featured character. Yeah, that was before Force Force Awakens came out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a long time ago. What the heck? How has it been so long? I don't know, but this is one of the complaints of of just general kind of fans. It's like 
where's our where's our stories you know it's like where's like you know you disney you bought you bought star wars like where's where where's the stories with luke skywalker right and yeah. then the movies came out it's like where is he <laughs> it's yeah. like i'm looking for him i don't see him you know it's like and then boom last two minutes there he is everyone and then movie ends um so you know yeah. I, I can definitely see like the complaints but I, you know it's all going back to that opinion of like i feel like you know i totally agree with you this book was so necessary to to have yeah. happen right and i think they did a really good job up until like the last second where they kind of lost it a bit mm-hmm. um do, uh, do we yeah. want to get into well we haven't even talked about the the random sith villain that they just brought in oh this, yes like, yeah in. okay so so there's a couple parties going on in this in this uh, narrative here uh one of them is lando um before he crossed paths with everyone else of course his narrative is out there looking for his kidnapped daughter which uh in the rise of skywalker we're kind of given context for but but uh we're we're in this book, it kind of cuts into that story and his daughter's already been kidnapped. Uh, there was a cool flashback moment. One of the chapters was just like a bit of an interlude and just kind of, it was Lando remembering days past of when his daughter was young and they were eating ice cream together. Um, so, you know, that was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, there's, so there's Lando's story. There's Luke's story. He's um, being the Jedi master he is. Uh, the Jedi temple currently set up is on Ossus. And um, I believe Ossus is the same uh, planet that we saw in The Mandalorian, where um, all those those droids were like setting up his his rock temple. Uh, if I'm yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's the same place. I think so. Yeah. Um, ben Solo makes appearances in this book as a young Jedi apprentice. Uh, Lor Santeca is in this novel as well, and he is uh, at the beginning of the book aiding Luke in his search for ancient Jedi and Sith artifacts throughout the galaxy. Um, we have a narrative of Aji of Bestoon being bequeathed uh, the Sith dagger, which uh, it's not actually shown to us in the film, but kind of behaves as if like a almost like it has has like a, a personality to it. Um, and they kind uh, of ex- explained the dagger a little bit finally yeah. because everyone's like, How is it the shape of the Death Star? Yeah, so, but it's ancient, so apparently the blade itself is ancient, but they've the uh, like the handle, right? It is has been he when he first gets uh, receives it, he sees that it's it was freshly uh, like molded or sculpted or whatever, right? So someone's like carved the the thing into yeah. the, the the outline of the the death. Just how you're able to have that the uh, protractor st- stick out so you can find the hole in the death. Star. Yeah, that that's like a new thing that was added onto it as well. Yeah, because the actual blade itself is like an ancient dagger. It's also it also behaves like Beskar, so it can resist lightsaber attacks and um, yeah. and also it, it kind of drinks it absorbs blood into it. So yeah, if, if you use it, in it. it yeah, like, it's like a Sith alchemy kind of blade where where it absorbs blood if you were to stab somebody or whatever. Um, and it, and it also has uh, some connection level to the force because mm-hmm. the, the wielder can feel the hunger of the dagger and the satisfaction after it uh, murders someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we get Archie of Bestoon. He's been granted a mission. Uh, it never what directly it never directly mentions to the reader that Palpatine is in fact alive, but it does mention subtly that all of this kind of stuff that we know to be in the rise of Skywalker is kind of 
happening behind the scenes. And Archie is kind of just being uh, communicated with by one of the Sith cultists that resides on Exegol. Um, and uh, or, or maybe somewhere in the area that they're kind of like doing Palpatine's bidding, like from, you know, from a distant point of view. So Archie himself never directly communicates with Palpatine, um, uh, not since his death, that is. So uh, there's that storyline. And there's a final storyline, which you mentioned, the villain, she's uh, on the cover of the novel. And um, this kind of takes us back all the way to the Aftermath books. Uh, when we were first introduced to a different kind of cultist group called the Acolytes of the Beyond. And uh, they were a bunch of kind of more youthful, younger, kind of grungy, dark kids slash teens, young adults stuff that were, they were kind of pursuing relics of the Sith and and trying to kind of, they're almost like Sith fanboys, uh, except they were like actually murdering people and, you know, kind of behaving as if they were like, you know, neo nazi like kind of people. Like, I don't know. There, there was like, there was just terrible, terrible group. Right. And uh, it kind of mentioned that like one of the, uh, one of the leader of this uh, Sith, uh, the, the accolades of beyond ended up uh, being put in this book. And uh, her name is Kiza, is it? Or Kaiza? I think it's Kiza. Sorry, who? Ka- uh, the, 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 the Sith person, the, 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 the acolyte of the beyond who, who puts on the mask. That, yeah it's it's k-i-z-y um k-y or k-i-z-a or something however it's spelled so i think kaiza is kaiza i remember hearing, okay at least in the audiobook okay so it's probably i'm, kaiza I'm trying yeah. to re- i'm trying to remember the name of the ancient sith lord that possesses is it uh yeah possesses the mask that she wears yeah yeah so um it's um the lightsaber that she has—it's uh, it, kind of confusing. So she's 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 basically what happened is at some point in the past, um, a, a representative slash um, kind of like an aide to the emperor. Um, his name was—I um, have it all annotated, so I'll bring it up again. Uh, but I think uh, I'm blanking on his name now. And he gave uh, a Sith relic to this leader of the Acolyte of the Beyond. Uh, his name's Yup Tashu. It was uh, one of the purple-hatted kind of tall beings that you see in Return of the Jedi with the pale face. So he ends up having his own kind of devious plan to rule the galaxy in the Aftermath books. And it's been so long since we've read those, uh, the ones written by Chuck Wendig, but those took place right after Return of the Jedi. And these Acolytes of the Beyond kind of like came into the story at that point. And uh, Yuptashu uh, used to be an advisor to the emperor, and he uh, provides uh, Kaiza with uh, the mask, which um, I, I think it was either the mask. Uh, yeah, it was the mask because in this book she gets the lightsaber, but um, he gave her the mask or something like that. This mask is uh, the mask of uh, some sort of some sort of like Ice ancient something. Yeah, some sort of ancient Sith lord uh which also went by like a viceroy status at one point. Um Noctis is it or is that the lightsaber that's Noctis? Oh, that, sounds, that might be it. Noctis is okay. part of it. Yeah. So There's uh, a lot going on in this book. There is, More yeah. And I, and I have so many threads. Yeah. It, it, there's so many threads. Yeah. And I, I have annotated it, so I will bring this up again. Uh, but she gets the mask. It's essentially over time corrupted her and possessed her. And uh, 
uh, through her own sheer will, every time she puts on the mask, she basically surrenders her body and her mind and her actions over to this, um, almost like this spirit of this dead Sith Lord that used to exist uh, many hundreds or thousands of years ago. So um, that's kind of the plan um, uh, on her story. And the ultimate goal that she has is to get to Exegol, to the to the home world of the Sith or the the secret world of the Sith, because we know that Moraband slash Korban is the home world of the Sith. Like, I guess there's two now. Um, so her whole plan is to get to Exegol, and there's uh, some sort of uh, almost like um, some sort of the some, force is so str- strong there that it can be used to heal. Yeah, there's there's That's something both, there. Yeah. Both her and Ochi, they both want to get to the to Exegol because they want to be healed. Yeah, yeah. Ochi, uh, because his eyes were burned out many years prior. Uh, this, you actually, he was on Exegol at one point, and his eyes were Darth Vader. Yeah, with Vader, it happened in the Vader comics, um, in the most recent Darth Vader comic book series, which highly recommend. It's awesome. Um, so he was in the presence of Vader and Palpatine before, and this giant Kyber crystal thing on the planet, uh, it like burned his eyes out of his sockets, and so that's why he's got those like black grills like cybernetic eyes um when you see him in the movie and he wants to get to exegol exactly how you say to heal himself um kaiser wants to get there to uh to basically uh, uh obey her master which is like she's treating this mask with like this possessed mask as like her master who wants mm-hmm. to use her to bring this mask to exegol and basically like a horcrux essentially bring him back to life like using the yeah, mask yeah. and stuff like that. So he wants to come back into, you know, into the presence of, of the real world and stuff like that. And um, he's using her as a slave to kind of do it. So there's all these pieces at play. The word Exegol is kind of flying around left, right and center amongst the plot. And, uh, and that's and somehow kind of they like... all found out about the wayfinder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, the, somehow they and found out the only two <laughs> and no one's ever heard of them before, including the Jedi order. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, first, uh, first annotation, uh, I wrote down, um, it had been 17 years since the second Death Star had been destroyed over Endar, 17 long years since Dathan's father, even now he felt the chill, felt the hollow, almost lightheaded sensation as he thought of Palpatine had fallen, the empire over which he ruled shattered. Um, so this book most notable for providing us with the names and personalities of Ray's parents. Uh, this is a, obviously a story that we can care. We could care now very much about, uh, now that the movies are over, I don't think the hype is all there because, you know, when last Jedi was coming out, it was like a whole thing. Like, Oh, who are Ray's parents? Like this book would have been great to come out at that point in time. But, um, now I feel like the hype is gone. So everyone listening, well, we still know. needed context because we got, Oh, it's, uh, Palpatine's granddaughter. Yeah. But everyone's like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotta, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You've got to explain yeah. how that works, which is, I guess, where this novel comes in. At least now we got some names. Yeah, we got Dathan, and her mom's name is Miramur. Yeah. Is it? Is that how they said it in the audiobook? Miramur? Miramur. Something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right, yeah. Okay. All right. Played by Jody, Jody Comer, everyone. Yeah. Um, from Myanmar (laughs) yeah so Dathan and Miramur um it does get into uh there is a a flashback chapter where Dathan is on Exegol and he actually like kind of escapes 
and um, he's, he was raised there. Yeah, he was raised there, and they do kind of, they do kind of uh, acknowledge his strand cast uh, status. It's a word that they kind of made up for. This is a person that's been made up of a genetic template of somebody else, but it's still not a clone. If that makes any sense, it's kind of like a weird. Uh, this isn't a clone; it's something else. It, it's almost oh, like um, I think it's like Omega. It's just not a yeah. Omega, yeah, not an identical clone. Like so, I think Omega from the Bad Batch could potentially be considered a strand cast uh, by design. Uh, Dathan, I don't know if he was. I don't think this book ever says if he was like designed to be that way or anything, but they just kind of kept him alive, even though he couldn't use the force and he, and he didn't have the force or anything. They kept him alive and he, he never quite understood why they kind of, they kind of insinuate that it's like, Oh, I've just been ignored my whole life, but I don't know like what reason they have for not killing me kind of thing. Right. I think he he kind of alludes to the only reason he could think of is because he shares the same blood as Palpatine. Yeah, that's the only reason he has. Yeah, so so when he kind of hitches a ride on some sort of uh, shuttle that came in, and he, you know he he kind of stows away in their ship and gets off world, and he's kind of been hitchhiking around the galaxy for a while. At some point, he ended up on a planet uh, in a small village where he was uh, uh, working there, working a job, and uh, that's when he yeah, met Ray's mother, Mirmer. Yeah, he was a farmer for yeah. a bit, met uh, Ray's mother, uh, Mirimer, and he, they kind of fell running, in love. Yeah, he was running the like the, uh, the kind of like the combine harvester droid, yeah. and then she was the mechanic that was supposed to fix them. Right, yeah. And uh, that's also another thing that's that's worth mentioning is that's how Ray kind of has her natural affinity for flying ships and, and knows her way around technology. Just It's like, I guess, something she got from her mother, who's just naturally gifted with that kind of thing. So, um, there was, uh, there was another one. Chapter four, desolation. That was the word for it. Oh. The, 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 what was it? I was the end, uh, through part of their, cause they're kind of living on the lamb that they'll move from planet to planet because they're trying to keep him, uh, yeah. Dathan like a secret. And at one point they actually are hiding on Jakku. Yeah. That's yeah. Worth. So, she, and, and, uh, Myanmar, she's she's doing exactly what Ray does. She's like finding parts, and like cleaning them scavenging, up and just yeah. selling it to yeah, selling it to Ankar Plot. <laughs> yeah. That's how they got to know him. Right. Um, desolation. That was the word for it. The landscape, the place was blasted by eons of time, and air dry and charged with a dangerous electricity that danced over the ground of black basalt that was uh, already immeasurably ancient. Um, and um, I don't know. I just I thought that it was uh, kind of an interesting description of Exegol. Um, this is kind of the first time in the book that that we get this uh, sort of peek through the keyhole into the description of what Exegol is. And um, Luke is beginning to have nightmares of this place. And it's I think it's the force kind of warning him a little bit of what's going on out there. And just to flash forward to the end of the book, even though when the threat is kind of dealt with and this whole mask thing, you know, the woman who has the mask and all that's kind of been taken care of. Um, Exegol obviously is still out there and the emperor is like still out there. So um, it, it's definitely worth noting that like, even though the nightmares kind of stop, 
like the presence of like the shadow of the Sith is never, it's never gone. Like it just kind of, is just more kind of in the background behind the veil. And, um, you know, as we know from years later after the events of this book, you know, it begins to, uh, kind of corrupt everyone, you know, and, and Snoke kind of comes out and, you know, he starts to play a part in Ben's solo story. And then, uh, the nightmares begin for Luke again about what could happen to Ben Solo. And then he has his whole moment where he almost kind of succumbs to killing his own nephew. And so, you know, the the, the shadow is kind of lingering still, even after the events of this book. But I, I feel like this book really paints a really good picture of like, you know, just, just what, what the ominous kind of darkness approaching feeling kind of through the force, like the little glimpses of, what the force is providing to Luke is like, I thought that was really good storytelling. It was really good narrative. Um, and I feel like it also helped try to add to what happened to Luke. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's something that's just been overhanging him and it's slowly wearing him down. Which yeah. Maybe is what slowly got him to the point where he thought the best course of action was to get rid of Ben solo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, there's a few moments in this book where Luke had the chance to end it with Kaiza, who's the, um, uh, who he feels he can redeem if he separates her from the mask, but she willingly just continuously puts it back on herself. And, um, and I feel like at some point in the story, there was a, a little piece of, of, uh, almost like him running through the, the thought through his head is like, it was my mistake that I didn't finish it last time. So the next mm-hmm. time he fights, you know, I, um, she ends up, she ends up dying. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was the kind of thing that I was like, Oh, I thought, I think like maybe he just kind of regrets not just killing her, you know, like the first time around the first time that they fought, like he could have, he could have saved all this trouble. could have like maybe prevented some people from dying, whatever. Yeah. Um, but and, he's a Jedi and he's trying to be a Jedi yeah. and let's not forget he saved Darth Vader. So if you can do that, did Reddit be able to save anyone? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, together they followed the star compass Luke had uncovered from Pilio. Uh, this is a, a little reference in chapter four to battlefront two, uh, the campaign, the short story that, uh, you meet, uh, Luke Skywalker on Pilio when he, uh, uh, you go there as one of the Imperial agents to blow up um, a large vault of the Emperor's artifacts, and Luke uh, uncovers a compass there, and uh, your character allows him to keep the compass after he helps you navigate through these caves of creatures and all that stuff. And um, it's it's the same compass that you see on his bedside table in The Last Jedi. Uh, it's flashed in a two-second shot, like, you know, one in that movie. And uh, you can actually buy the compass at Galaxy's Edge, um, but uh, it, it's kind of like a neat little little throw in there, uh, just to kind of insinuate. Yeah, he's running around with Lore Senteca. He's uncovered the compass. They're kind of looking for stuff. Like this compass has kind of played a part in that. And uh, I was like, oh, that's a nice a nice little inclusion, you know, like just kind of bringing bringing the gap a little closer between those movies and the originals. So. Um, Achia Bastoon had been looking for Exegol for a long, long time. And however hopeless, a part of him knew that this task was, uh, he refused, uh, sorry, and however hopeless, a part of him knew 
his task was he refused to give up. He'd been there once. He was going to get there again. Um, so I love how it also kind of tells the readers, yeah, Archie's been to Exegol before, but he wants to go back because he wants to heal himself. So like like what you were saying mm-hmm. earlier, you know. Um, is there anything that you've kind of like noted down for these earlier chapters in the book? Because like I'm just firing off mine, but if you got any, just uh, just throw mm-hmm. them out there. And the early, I mean, at the beginning, it was there was a lot of just trying to get the ball rolling. There's a like like we said, there's a lot of storylines going on at once. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess it's worth talking now that Ochi was not the character I thought he was going to be. Yeah, yeah. It's like when, when we see his corpse or whatever in Rise of Skywalker, he looks like he's like a really serious Sith assassin kind of character. Yeah. And he's, he's, uh, he feels more like Greedo. Yeah. He's a bit of a buffoon. So just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a, that's a good way to put it. He's a buffoon who is, uh, really narcissistic. He thinks a lot of himself. Yeah. And he, he did. He does have skills because as he reminds everyone over and over again, he used to hunt Jedi during the purge. Yeah, yeah, and he, he was said successful um, that. Yeah, he also said he operated during the Clone Wars because um, in, in the Clone Wars TV show, it's like one throw uh, throwaway line that Cad Bane has, and he says that the Separatists have offered a thou- a million credits ahead for a Jedi, and I don't think you ever hear it again. But I thought that that was really really cool that they kind of inserted that into his motive for originally killing mm-hmm. Jedi. I guess he scored a few because Palpatine came to him when the purge happened and hired him to still continually track down. down. Yeah, so the Inquisitors aren't the only ones out there hunting down Jedi. He's also got Sith assassins running around as well. Yeah. So that was a really nice inclusion. the fact that he did it, that he did it well enough that Palpatine actually, like, personally reached out to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That says, yeah. says a lot. Then as we're going through the story, it's like him and his uh, two companions, and they're just, like, they're drunks. And they're just, yeah, buffoons. They're, they're like just thugs. Comic, they're comically stupid. Yeah, yeah. So they weren't much of a threat, but they, they do they do kind of verbally make Achi quite a menacing, scary figure who's a little off the hook, so you don't really know what he, he's going to do. He's more he's, psychotic. He's a little yeah. psychotic, yeah. He, he kind of overly uses his dagger quite a bit just to kill just about anyone. He's a bit wow. like a Joker character. That's- just not at the beginning. Not that's because the the dagger was slowly corrupting his mind. Like he right. could, uh, he just constantly felt the hunger of of the dagger. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on in this book. There's a lot of like Sith artifacts corrupting people, uh, going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, which uh, is pretty cool. I feel like that's something that was more common in the EU. Yeah, yeah. Like, this 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 book I, yeah. got really kind of into the nitty gritty of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sith alchemy and ancient artifacts. It's yeah, pretty, pretty cool. That's one of the things that Luke has been doing, is he's been hunting down all these artifacts over this time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely makes for an interesting subject for sure. Um, in chapter five, Archie kind of remembers his time on Exegol, and uh, there was a little bit that kind of remembers how he got his eyes burned out. So I marked that down as well. Um, and it also, even way back then, they were already building these massive star destroyers with those planet mm-hmm. blowing up lasers that that they. Yeah, the resistance ends up taking them all out with that whole, you know, lightning strike. By thing. that you mean during Ochi's first visit? Yeah, during Ochi's so first visit the, to Exegol. Okay. Yeah, so so it reads which is during the Darth Vader comics. The, when the Empire. Yeah, yeah during the during Empire the days of the Empire. Yeah, that's right. 
Uh, that's between episode five and six. That's when he was last there. Okay. The ships were equipped with huge cannons, their power matching that of the Death Star's own planet-destroying armament, the energy channeled and concentrated by shards of kyber crystal. Those pieces cleaved from a huge mountain of the stuff, amassing at the heart of the cultist fortress temple. It was this kyber mountain that had scarred Achi. As he watched the crystals being ripped from their formations, they had screamed out in pain releasing a burst of energy and seared the skin from his skull and burned his eyes into their sockets. Uh, that was a, it was a really crazy. Yeah. It was a really vivid kind of statement there. And I was like, whoo, <laughs> like I saw that you, you see it happen in the panels of the comic book, but just seeing it oh, in wow, the novel. Okay. Yeah. Like seeing it, it like in words in the novel though, I was like, wow, it really adds to the pain that he kind of suffered. You know, I didn't, you know, mm. yeah, it was it was pretty uh, a pretty nasty kind of gruesome moment uh, for Achi and good, good adjectives in there, yeah, yeah, some great word, yeah, absolutely. Um, there was uh, oh sorry, uh, there's another little little section here which I thought was really cool. Um, the uh, um, in chapter five, Palpatine, um, you have been chosen. The voice was now echoing. From all around the darkness, Archie looked up, shaking his head, and then he fell to his knees, his head bowed. Um, and uh, the Emperor's voice is kind of um, ever-present in, in his life at the beginning. Like, when he kind of gets sent off on his mission, um, it is the presence of Palpatine who uh, guides him to his mission of hunting down Rey and her family. And, uh, and that's pretty much the only direct mention that we get, I guess, that he's kind of alive and alive and well, mm. um, but there's no actual, but it's, it's only done through the Sith acolytes. It, it's not only, yeah, it's only kind of done through, through proxy. It's, it's never done directly. He's never directly in front of the emperor or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty neat though. It's a pretty neat moment when when he shows up uh what what did you what were your thoughts on like just like that ever the the title of the book of course is shadows of the sith so like what like how how did you kind of relate that to the novel because there's so many times that it kind of pops up you know where it's like yeah this is like a great way to describe the presence of the villain in this in this story it's funny i never really thought about the title connecting to it but it, it does make sense because Throughout the novel, we're dealing with all these leftover artifacts from the Sith. There's a Sith Lord that is trying to return. Palpatine's making plays. Like these are, we thought the Sith were extinct, right? And people across the galaxy, when they we run into people in the uh, in the rebellion, and who are now like the New Republic. And Lando mentions that the Sith, there's reason to believe the Sith are back, and like nobody believes them because they all think the Sith are extinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel like that really leads to uh, it really corresponds well with the, with the title regards to this kind of like lingering presence of the Sith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, so uh, 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 uh it describes Palpatine as a presence, uh, a form looming over his shoulder so close he could almost feel the breath against his skin. Um and uh, yeah, it, it's 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 so cool because like, it, and it's a feeling that is described to have felt huge and cold, and it it just says it felt wrong, and then 
And then it's just the emperor's voices in bold text. Archiv Bestoon. And then, you know, it's kind of like goes into his head. It's like the, the voice, like that voice, like the deep rumble, like, you know, it kind of describes him. He, and Archie's like, no, it's not possible. Like he doesn't believe that he's alive still. You know, he knows him to be dead. All things are possible, Archie Bestoon. You know, and it was the voice of the emperor, the dead emperor Palpatine. You have been chosen. I have a task for you to perform. You were once a hunter, so you shall hunt again. You will find the girl. You will bring her to me. My disciples will teach you. Complete this task, and you shall have your reward. You shall have the path to Exegol. And like, and then he says like one more thing. He says, you have failed me before. Do not fail me again, Archie of Bestoon. And uh, it's, I'm kind of like segueing through like the whole like chapter that this conversation takes place. But uh, I was like, th this is such a great moment where like he just hears the voice of Palpatine inside his head very much mm -hmm. like how, uh, how Ben Solo hears Palpatine's voice in his head when he gets to Exegol. Yeah. And then, you know, he hears like the, the very famous words of like, I have been every voice inside your head. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. And including, uh, Vader. including Vader, there. including Vader and Snoke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is like definitely like Palpatine still pulling the strings from way back in the, you know, in the shadows, right? Uh, behind the veil of that nebula all the way over on Exegol. You know, he's still doing mm -hmm. his thing, still operating as if he's still emperor of the galaxy kind of thing. Um, and uh, it was the uh, the servants of, of Palpatine that from beneath their long robe, they produced a dagger. They held it out in front of him by the handle. The blade pointed at Achi. Uh, so he gets his... his uh, his blade. Uh, Ur uh, Kitat, the old tongue of the Sith, forbidden since the days of the Old Republic, inscribed in the unique runic alphabet that Aji had also seen engraved on the walls of the Sith Citadel on Exegol. So that's the Sith, like the ancient script of the te uh, of, of the, the Sith are like inscribed along the blade. And um, yeah, very, very cool. Kind of reminded me of Lord of the Rings. I mean, there's a, what do you call it? Black speech? Black speak? Yeah, something like that. It's yeah. just the language of, of Mordor. Yeah, the language of Mordor. Very similar to how uh, the the Sith have a language. And it, they do mention in this book that not all the Sith could speak it or understand it. So uh, they mm -hmm. really emphasize the idea that the Sith eventually, um, what they did was they kind of adapted it into Orbesh, but then they flipped the alphabet. The, the Orbesh was spelled backwards just in a way to twist the the lettering even still just just because they might not have known like the ancient knowledge and the uh, the lore like well enough to actually speak like the old tongue um so what they mm -hmm. did was some sith lords were uh were kind of uh familiar with the idea of of um inscribing backwards lettering on stuff instead so there's a few times where that was mentioned in the novel as well which i thought was like hey that's that's kind yeah. of like twisted like yeah. It's like the knockoff version, like down the road where you've like forgotten how to do the ancient. Yeah. Like the, the proper way of doing things. Yeah. 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 Were you aware that Lando has a middle name? 
Because um, that came up I a few times. Was... Lando Balthazar Calrissian. Balthazar, that's right. Yeah, I, I didn't I, know that he had I don't anyway. think I did. I think the first time I heard it was in was in this novel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he needed a middle name, to be honest. No. And his daughter's name is uh, Kadara. Um, not just Kadara. Kadara Calrissian. Um, and I guess they decided not to give her a middle name. But um, Kadera yeah. is, um, I think, what we can assume is, um, um, I forget the character's name. It's uh, She did come up in The Rise of Skywalker, and at the very end of the movie, they had they had cut out a whole se- sequence or something, um, which, which was in regards to um, um, this actually playing out on screen. Uh, and it was actually like, they, they, it was talked about extensively by uh, somebody, one of the writers on the, on the movie, but, um, but they're, uh, they just kind of, kind of shortened that whole thing and just insinuated like, yeah, we're kind of hinting at the fact that that is his daughter. That's kind of been returned to him. And she was uh, the one that, uh, came to them on that planet with the Death Star having crashed, and she was the mm-hmm. one. That, she used to work for the First Order with a bunch of other ragtag people, and like they kind of yeah, like they all es- escaped. Yeah, they all escaped and stuff like that. So, so yeah. So is that I mean, still canon then? Like, is it canon that that's his daughter, or did they decide to change that? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's still canon. Um, uh, so they haven't they haven't retroactively not made. Um, mm-hmm. made that her uh, but if you look up right. Kadera Calrissian it's not tied to her um, photo or anything yeah. of the other character yeah, which I was wondering uh, yeah yeah so um, the the name that she goes by is Janna um, in the Rise of Skywalker and um, this Janna well, I guess could be could it be. could be her. Yeah, it could be her. Yeah. In this novel, Lando specifically mentions that she was taken at such a young age, she might not have known her own name. Right. Right. Yeah. She was like a toddler, right? So, is, um, yeah. So he mentions that. Um, it's the same with Finn. If he, if, even if he, he found her, like, he might not be able to recognize her. Like, she might not uh, respond to, to that name, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's the same with Finn. Like he was kidnapped at such a young age that that he doesn't he doesn't have a name. That's why Poe gives him one. Like when they first meet, because uh, he all he's known is FN two one eight seven. So, um, yeah, I think like it's kind of interesting. Like if you put all the pieces together, like the backstory for the, these movies starts to kind of make sense. It's just you have to look so in so many directions for all of these little bits and pieces. Um yeah let me see here um for the boy the force is a mystery a thing he only knows exists because he's been told he has only been told because he's a failure nothing more than rejected matter from the scalpel of creation he is useless without power a genetic strand cast that failed to inherit anything from his father he is protected by his father and this has given him freedom what if what if that freedom is the whole point. What if he's been left to live, not because he's only a strand cast, but to have actually survived, developing and growing normally, but because there's some other purpose for him? What if he discovers that purpose? What if he is meant to follow the cultists? What if he is the one to find whatever they're looking for? He wants no part of this. Uh, So just like a little 
kind of look inside Dathan's head, you know, how he kind of perceives himself um, in, in, in the eyes of, of like what he is like, cause he knows he's different. He knows he's just a creation and, you know, discarded creation at that. Uh, but he starts to question whether or not he's alive because of the purpose that he has. And, you know, in the rise of Skywalker, I guess like, you know, we, we kind of clearly see like, Oh, his purpose was to go out, have offspring of his own. And then that would be the, the heir or heiress or, or however you want to describe to the, the Sith throne, I guess. So, Oh, you're muted here. Oops. I there wonder if that was always Palpatine's plan or if that was just yeah. coincidence. Yeah, I wonder. Like, did uh, he know? Did he know that his, his uh, what's the word? Squib son? <laughs> if you know, his squib son would have a daughter that would then become the, the true heir? I think maybe, I mean, knowing Palpatine, he probably had a vision or something like that. And, you know, it was like, oh, I must have a strand cast in order to have a granddaughter. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's why he was kept around. Again, I mean, like, as much as I admire this book for kind of, like, bringing the gap closer to the canon, um, I mean, I, there's also, like, I still... It's not like I like the story of episode nine any better. It's just I'm able to kind of at least accept it, it a little more. more. It just makes a yeah. little more sense now that there's at least some sort of foundation, retroactively that is, oh. but still foundation nonetheless, yeah. right? Um, but my whole problem is that like it still doesn't change the movie. And the movie is kind of like most people aren't going to read any of this stuff. I mean, like there's still a lot of kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, there's still a lot of chat about like whether or not the whole Sifo-Dyas plot was needed in Attack of the Clones. Now, that eventually got resolved in the Clone Wars, and we finally got the story for that. But um, it took a long time to get that story. And for many years, that, oh, was, yeah. that was George still running the, the company, right? So I, I guess he just never thought it was that necessary for people to know that story. But I think like the main thing at heart is like, okay, well, that's one thing. At least there wasn't like a whole slew of other things. Whereas, like in that in episode nine and some of the others, you know, movies where there was a little bits and pieces of stories, it's like that's a it's lot like, of backstory like, that we just have this, questions this, to, right? This story's not bad. The right. problem is, it was so rushed. Yeah. If they just taken like half of this stuff mm-hmm. and just spread it out amongst the previous two movies, it would make them feel more connected, and it would let the stuff. You don't have to change the storylines. Just like shuffle timing around a bit. Like that's it. It would make yeah. such a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if we met Lando last, like during a, uh, the Last Jedi, and he was searching for his daughter, and and then talking about his Wayfinder stuff, that would at least plant the seed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, and um, something something else that just something about this book, right? Is I, I I kept thinking to myself like I feel like the pacing of this book, you know, is it, it's such a challenging story to write because there's only one conclusion that all this has to lead to, and it's the conclusion that we yeah. know from the movie. So like you you're reading this book going, I know what's going to happen to these people, and I know that Archie's going to catch them, and I know they're going to die because he drives that dagger right through their chest, right? Um, and we know that Ray gets ditched and abandoned on Jakku. But, like, this book is the story of, like, how it gets to that. And I guess what I kept thinking to myself is the events that happen in Episode 9 as 
and and this is one one thing that I have about this book that that I'm like, eh, it could have still. I I don't know if, if if I'm supposed to blame the book or the movie for this thing, but um, the whole ending of this novel is uh, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but but Luke and Lando end up um, finding the dead end, which is Pisana and Ochi's ship parked on the cliffside on Pisana, which in the first like 30 minutes of Rise of Skywalker, the the characters are already there investigating that, and they find Lando mm-hmm. right, and uh, Lando kind of like says. We were looking for Archie of Bastoon because he had a clue for the Wayfinder. But in reality, this book, really, they're on Pisana looking for Archie of Bastoon because they want to know that Rey and her family are safe, right? And Lando yeah. actually finds Rey's parents' bodies at one point uh, in space uh, in a box with a tracking beacon attached to it. Um, and it's, I'm kind of... I'm losing all the story behind why that why that is. It all makes sense if you read the book. But the main kind of point of bringing this up is Luke and Lando go to Pisana to uh, track down Archie because of Rey, not because of a Wayfinder device, right? And in the movie, yeah. they painted out as if they were there looking for Archie because he had a clue to the Wayfinder device. But that whole narrative kind of like kind of kind of disappears. Like we know Archie was trying to find a clue for the Wayfinder device to get to Exegol, but the story changed so that he's now trying to kidnap Ray so that they will give him the coordinates to bring her to Exegol. That's his whole mission is to find Ray, mm-hmm. bring her to Exegol, right? But he has to find Ray first. And he finds the parents. They've already hidden Ray somewhere, which ends up being Jakku. But um, because of the necklace that Miramur takes from Ankar Plot's shop, which is the beads and the bead necklace, that yeah. that's a clue. It's like, oh, that's that that comes from Pasana. It's like a very famous like thing. So he goes to Pasana. He dies in the sand field. You know, he sinks, dies on the speeder bike, whatever. Not and, just not just that. Uh, well, we can get into. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll go on a little. Sh- yeah, yeah. You can. Yeah, you can. We'll, we'll bring it up again. But like my whole thing about this yeah. book is like. It was like it, 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 it's done as well as it can, but the movie already painted out the reason why Lando and Luke were there. And this book kind of tries to go out of its way to make more of a reason for that, but I just didn't buy it. And I was like, they're there well, for they're there for Ray. Like they're 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 always like they're always right behind Ray's family because and Lando's whole motive is if he can help Ray and her family save their daughter, perhaps he can find his own, right? And, and like, that's his whole thing. Is like, my daughter's missing. Maybe I can help some other family save theirs. And maybe I'll find my daughter in the process because he's just, like, lost without his daughter, right? So mm-hmm. um, so my whole thing is, like, I don't know why, why, they, why they ended the book on that note because it doesn't quite line up with the reason that Lando gives Ray and Poe and Finn as to why he's still there. So like yeah, that that's kind of the biggest in disconnect. The, yeah. It felt it did feel like a weird decision to feel a little shoehorned in cuz yeah. Like it felt like they had to do it because of the movie. Right. Because I I think you're missing a part where at the end uh Luke and Lando dead end at Pasana. I think I swear there's something that they find out means that the, the girl is like safe or whatever, but they just don't know where. Yeah. It's funny is Lando has an inkling or he 
he takes a chance with with his Pazak deck, not Pazak deck, the other one. His Sabak deck. Sabak deck. Yeah. And I don't know how it works. That gets through the force. He happens to get the uh, the double zero, which is like oh the yeah. So so what hand. happens? What and that, happens? And that means he's supposed to go to Jakku, and that's where the girl is. Yeah. <laughs> so so what happens is uh, at one point Lando is frantically like like it's like a whole chase. The whole the whole book is a chase. The family is on the run from Achi at Bestoon. Achi is chasing after Ray and her parents. Lando hears about this Achi Bestoon in a cantina at the very beginning of the book, realizes that Achi is on a mission to kidnap this child away from her yeah. family. So he starts he pursuing. His yeah, exactly. Thinking that he'll find his daughter if he finds if he if he can track down this Achi person and save this other girl from her family, right? Uh, with from this assassin. So. Um, the whole book is Achi chasing Ray and her family, Lando and Luke chasing Achi, right? Like that's the whole thing. So at one point they have a piece of technology that can track down Achi's ship, but it gives them 23 possible results oh, yeah. of like where that ship could be. That's and Lando uses yeah. his Sabak deck to draw some numbers <laughs> and he just gets number 23. And it's like, okay, let's oh, hit the, let's is. go yeah. to the 23rd result on the list. Boom. It happens to be Jack who. And so they go to Jack, who at that point in time, Ray's parents have already ditched her there. She's hidden away and they've already blasted off planet. That whole flashback scene from the force awakens happens where Ray's like, no, come back. No. And they leave. Yeah. And they've Ochi, stolen Ochi's ship. Yeah. They've stolen so Ochi's Ochi, ship. Ochi's ship. Yeah. Flying away. That's yeah. why they have his ship there. They exactly. Stole it from him. And what happens is in the movie, Ochi, who, has made some connections with fractions of the early first order have placed a tracking beacon on his ship without his knowledge or consent. And they're able to later track down his stolen ship and they find it in space above Jakku. They dock, they let, they grapple the ship, they get aboard, kills the parents, realizes they've got these beads from Pisana. It was yeah. actually just a novelty from the gift shop and they end up going to Pisana to track down Ray, thinking that that's where they hit her, not really realizing yeah. that they just ditched Jakku and she's actually on Jakku. So that's where the whole buffoonery comes in. He's kind of an idiot. Um, yeah. And and yeah. then all the way along, he's doing stuff yeah. like that though. And then they ditch Ray's parents' bodies in that's a crate a in 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 a crate above Jakku. They just you know airlock it right out of the back of the ship, and that's when Lando comes in with his. Luck of the draw, I'm going to check out Jakku, finds Ray's yeah. parents' bodies in a box. And then yeah, then that's that's that, right? And then it's like, if, it, like later in the end of the book, like a connection of his kind of gives him the tip that, oh, we found Achi's ship, it's on Pasana, go check it out. And then that's when they kind of go and investigate. And that's why I'm yeah. just so confused. I'm like, they literally had no reason to go there for the Wayfinder device. And why does he tell Ray and his her companions he's that he's trying to track down Archie Al that part? Yeah, and he says that. Okay, this is to me was kind of stupid, but he because like him, him and Luke, Luke and Lando, that is, they're on Pasana, they can't find Archie, and Luke's like, "Well, that's it. I guess we need to move on and do something else." Yeah, and Lando's like, "No, I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna wait until Archie returns." And then we watched the movie. He's been, he's just sitting at this. He's been like, there for eight years. He's been there eight years. Just Yeah. Waiting. Well, he, he like, says, he's, he's been, he says he's going to use Pasana as a base world 
so that he can investigate nearby systems for his daughter. Right. That's right. why he stayed there so long. But that's eight years, man. That's like a long time. That's eight you know, years. That's like a third of the time that between the films. Right. So and the whole time he's wearing that armor, which is like a specific suit to survive on a different planet. <laughs> but also yeah. like it's like no we know why he has it, but he doesn't need to wear it on Pasana. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> There, okay, there's, an, there's another part, chapter 11. Separatists have been uh, putting a price on the head of all the Jedi in the Order, but Achi works strictly on personal commission. He was good at killing Jedi. Um, which Jedi has he killed? It never actually mentions which ones say. he killed. It does mention that he tried to assassinate Depa Balaba, um, and then Mace Windu actually pre- prevented that from happening, and somehow he survived the, the event. Um, but I thought it was like, it was kind of an interesting inclusion of that time period when he was an active Jedi hunter, but I still thought it was a little bit of a forced kind of like Windu and Depa Balaba show up and he somehow he survived. It was like, how on earth did he survive Mace Windu of all people? Like, there's no way. (laughs) This party's over. This party's over. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, here we got we got an appearance from Shriv in this book. Shriv is a um, um, uh, what's his race again? He's got the red eyes. He's a Duros. He's a Duros, and uh, he showed up in the Battlefront Two campaign. He was an active guy working for the Rebellion. Now he works for the the New Republic. Um, I think he showed up. Hacker tech guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a mention of him in Star Wars Squadrons, I believe, and uh, he's shown up quite a few times in some of the books. I think he was in the Aftermath books. He was definitely he's in the... Just always, is he always the go-to guy? Like, they need information. He's like the yeah. other buddy who's a cop sort of idea. Yeah. So like, get into the system. He's exactly that guy. He's... he's um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's their Eddie Crispo. You know, just the, just the guy the guy who they, they kind of go to... Who just kind of like knows the stuff, you know? He just knows stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of be- become that little, that little like Nick Fury character. That's like, oh, let's just go to Shriv. He's got the information we need. He's buddies with all the old old school characters, and you know, I was like, okay, yeah, it's a nice little like cameo. But I thought it was kind of funny just seeing him show up for like the millionth time in just every Star yeah. Wars book. <laughs> well, they needed yeah. the information from Ochi's ship from him, I think. Because they needed like, yeah, everything down to the, even the cycle of his hyperdrive, so they could use the, that the imperial, uh, a software that they made that never actually quite worked. But this woman got to work, so they could fly yeah. the ship through space, yeah. through beacons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit here and uh, talk about something in chapter twelve. Um, it says the seeing stone's origins had, however, proved more elusive. It was made of a different material from the monolith that surrounded it and had so far resisted analysis. Perhaps Luke thought that was for the best. There were some things that didn't need to be understood by science. Um, so this is the same seeing stone on Tython uh, that uh, is Tython, right? Or uh, yeah, pretty sure it is uh, that we see in the Mandalorian that Grogu yeah. sits on and um, kind of sends out a beacon through the force that later Luke finds him. So it's the same seeing stone and Luke oh, yeah. has used it before. And I think that's, um, it's interesting that even though Mandalorian's already out prior to the release of this book, I found it interesting that they just totally avoided any mention of Ahsoka, Grogu, the Mandalorian, any interaction that Luke has had with those characters oh, yeah. didn't come up at all. 
And I thought that that was kind of curious because Mandalorian's obviously not finished. Neither is that storyline. It also probably wanted to avoid having to mention the fate of those characters because I assume that at this point in time, Grogu is definitely not at Luke's temple. So, you know, it was just curious. It's like, okay, he's on the seeing stone. Definitely made a mention of dropping that, but didn't name drop anything else. Um, It was also kind of cool that they mentioned uh, something about the material. Luke literally thinks to himself, some things don't need to be understood by science. I feel like that's just a nod of the head or a hat tip towards all the Star Wars fans out there who've kind of made the argument towards midi-chlorians saying, we don't need that. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, let's just keep the magic without the reasoning. And I feel like it was just a little tip of the hat to anyone who has felt that way. You know, obviously people maybe might still have strong feelings about that. And I've got my reasons for liking midi-chlorians. Some people have their reasons for not liking them. And, you know, that's totally fine. But I I thought it was like a neat little acknowledgement. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is a very mysterious thing. And we don't need to know how it works. What are (laughs) midi-chlorians? Well... (laughs) It's crack. <laughs> what do they say in that in the oh. oral knots? Uh, oh man, yeah. In the oral knots, it's heroin. YouTube. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's heroin. Yeah. It's, it's heroin. <laughs> that's great. Oh, um, so uh, let's see. There was a there's another little bit here. It seems strange to have developed such a relatively bulky device just to hold, presumably coordinates or star charts but similarities between the wayfinder and the sith holocrons with which luke was familiar were striking um i always thought that wayfinder the wayfinder for episode nine which is the first time it ever showed up um as a part of the plot in the movie um i got out of that movie thinking like that was so stupid like i was like why not just make it a holocron like it, it looks exactly like a holocron like why not just call it a holocron? why do you have to call it a wayfinder device right um and i think a lot of people felt kind of the same oh. about that so maybe we can talk about this but it actually precedes holocrons yeah so so I, what i wrote down here is it's basically just a holocron variant it's it's now kind of been verbally confirmed it is a holocron holocrons are used to store data the wayfinder device is just a specially built holocron that's able to store more data which is specifically star charts uh coordination uh uh, of, of your ship like you literally plug this thing in and it's like boom autopilot ship just knows what what to do right um so i thought it was kind of kind of interesting it also brings up luke's catalog from past jedi research he has a catalog of of like describing of ancient artifacts and um and other various things and it does explain the purpose of the wayfinder device uh single singular purpose being navigation so it's it's mm-hmm. literally just like this is the GPS of holocrons, essentially, you know, because there's many, many a holocron. You know, we've seen Ezra use holocrons with recordings of Anakin doing lightsaber training yeah. mo- movements. Like we've seen holocrons with um, lists of names that include Jedi who are yet Some to drives. be Jedi. Yeah, they're essentially just data storage devices, right? Which is why you can go to Galaxy's Edge, buy a holocron, buy a kyber crystal, put it in, and it makes like, you know, it replays like voices of different Jedi and stuff like that, that they've recorded their own teachings onto. Like that's kind of the idea mm-hmm. of of um, of a holocron is that it's just, it's just a storage device, right? 
So yeah, thumb drive, <laughs> like you say. But yeah, what are your yeah. thoughts on Wayfinder device? It never really bothered me. Uh, I would say like it as a device does doesn't bother me at all. To me, it just felt a little too shoehorned in the, in the movies. Like, oh, now there's this secret planet, and you need these two things. And yeah, only, very. There's only ever yeah. there's only two because it's, there's only ever one Sith master and one apprentice. Well, JJ loves his mystery box plots. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like, that's no excuse I, I though. I'm, I, you know, I totally agree. Like, it was just, it was like, uh, really, like, <laughs> like we. Yeah, I don't know. We have to hinge I'm the movie about it. Yeah, yeah. Um. There were, according to Luke's research, only ever two wayfinders in existence. Uh, the path they contained, too secret, too dangerous uh, for any but Sith lords and their apprentice to know. Uh, the path to the hidden world of the Sith, a place of power, and also, according to the ancient scribe, Klee the Elder, of eternal life. Um, so these wayfinder devices much like the um, affinity for just being the rule of two, you know, one of the only two Sith in existence. Um, Wayfinder devices, I guess, are are part of the knowledge being passed down from Sith to Sith. Uh, these same two Wayfinders kind of just make their way into the hands of Vader and the Emperor, uh, one eventually being on the Emperor's throne room, you know, on the Death Star. I guess that's where he kept it, uh, you know, which kind of hooks in why they went there in Episode Nine. And then the other one being kept on um, on uh, Mustafar near Vader's castle Which for some Vader, for some yeah. reason not in the castle for some reason yeah, it's got to be yeah. in the middle of the forest. <laughs> but right. you know it is what it is. Um, so yeah, that's pretty. That's a weird place for that, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's like, dude, this is the most. This is the most mm-hmm. important device you could ever hold in your possession as a Sith Lord. You hide that somewhere safe. Like, sure, yeah, I've got this massive fortress, but let's just take a walk into the woods and put it on a little pedestal out there and hope that no one finds it. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? It's like, all right, uh, maybe. <laughs> I've got my feelings about this. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, there was a really cool moment. That's why, that's why Darth Vader was only the apprentice and not the master. <laughs> that's, that's right, yeah. Um so uh, I, I, I also noted down this really cool moment in the book. It was one of my, it was, it was my singular favorite moment out of this whole novel. Uh, Luke was surrounded. They were tall, thin, nine of them. Nothing more than wraiths. Nothing more than shadows. Tall, thin ghosts. Their bodies curved and arced in a new wind that had picked up. A wind that gusted across the black plain, changing direction constantly. Um... This describes a vision that Luke has as he sits on the seeing stone. He's almost mentally and physically teleported to Exegol. And he is ambushed by nine wraiths, which it literally says wraiths. And all I could think about were the ring wraiths. Um, because there's nine of them. They're these okay. like black cloaked figures that are like kind of yeah. coming in at him from every angle. And uh, it was just a Dementor, Dementor. Yeah, yeah. It was just like a parallel to to the ring race, right? Like it was just like almost mm-hmm. identical. And uh, it later they also uh, they always used nine for some reason in this book throughout the whole book. It was like nine of this, nine of that, and it was nine of these nine like, movies, nine yeah, nine movies, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, there was all, another section. Like, I get it. I know why. Was that because nine is German for no? <laughs> so each each time something this no. happens, they go, no, no, nine. 
Yeah. Uh, how did how did you like this scene though? I mean, like, did you get creeped out when you saw like these these nine like shadowy raced ra- wraith um, figures like coming in at him? I mean, with these like shadow I sabers. Kind of forgot about it to be honest uh, until you bring it up now. Um, yeah, it was interesting because he. D- Luke was trying to duel them, and they had physical form where they could actually block his lightsaber. Yeah. He could block them with his lightsaber. Yeah. Whenever he tried to actually kill them with it, it would just go right through them. It was like a dream in which he can't kill anyone, but they could kill him or something like that if they tried, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's so why I thought kind of Lord of the Rings was like, was like, you can't kill those those things, but they can they can stab Frodo like with their their blades, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's because they're they're like undead. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it also says here, "Hell's many names, Luke. The Seeing Stone took a part of you there." Oh wait, sorry, I got to do the voice. Hell has many names, Luke. The Seeing Stone took a part of you there, but it has taken all that I can give to bring you back. Anakin faded again, but when he returned, he was only a dim shape, hardly more than a blue glowing outline against the clear blue sky. And uh, all I could think about was, is this the last time that we see Anakin's yeah. Force Ghost? I was, I was, that's what I was thinking too. Did they did they do this as an explanation of why Anakin never shows up yeah. in the sequel trilogy? Yeah, because what happens is he's almost stuck in this nightmare, right? He, he's, he's, he's kind of been, he sits on the seeing stone with these Sith relic uh, pieces of a crystal shard from Exegol. And it essentially mentally and physically transports him to that place. And he starts fighting these nine wraiths, realizing he can't win this fight. And he starts to lose, right? And he's on the ground. He's about to be killed. And then this big flash of light comes in. And then the what I loved about this scene was that, um, was that, that these wraiths see this figure. And he thinks that, that it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. But uh, it, he's cloaked. He's got this blue lightsaber out. He takes one swipe at them. And they start to back off. And then eventually they kind of scurry away and they like disappear. Mm-hmm. And and then Anakin turns around like, and he... Yeah, it's, it's just like air going with the ring rates. Yeah, 100%. And then he, he holds out his hand and Luke takes his hand and he's brought back into reality. And he falls off the seeing stone. And then he's like, oh, I'm back on, I'm back on the seeing stone again. Um, so uh, all confused and dazed and stuff, he kind of looks around and Anakin's force ghost is there in front of him. And he starts to have a conversation with his father. And it's it's probably the last conversation he has because it's very brief. Mm-hmm. But um, as he's talking to Luke, kind of warning him about the days to come, um, he starts to fade. And towards the, the end of their conversation, he's just a, he's just a, a voice, right? So he loses mm-hmm. his physical presence. And he actually says, it takes, it's taken all that I can give to bring you back. And so he has, no, it's yeah. almost like, it's almost like his physical presence in the force has been almost like uh, removed from him by diminished. diminished. Yeah. It's almost like he's used every ounce of power that he has to bring Luke back from Exegol. Otherwise he probably would have died there. Right. So I thought that was really, really cool. It was like one last kind of like other than in Ray's head, when you hear his voice amongst all the other Jedi, it was kind of like the last Mm -hmm. kind of, heroic moment that Anakin would have even in death you know just saving his son kind of like the way that almost in a similar way that maybe Luke saved him like you know the redeemed Anakin Skywalker you know the chosen one of self comes in literally scaring yeah. away this like darkness that doesn't fear anything 
except the chosen one himself. And then they just scurry. I was like, that was amazing. Like that was such a great chapter. So, yeah, I was really glad they did that too. When Anakin first showed up, I was, I was very surprised and did not expect him to show up in this novel. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I love them tying the stuff together more. Cause that feels like these, these characters are all interconnected. Of course, Luke's going to have like some sort of uh, relationship with his father now. Right. Yeah. It just makes sense. I showed up. Anakin showed up at the end of, of uh, Return of the Jedi. So that we know that this is something that can happen. So I'm glad that we're finally seeing it take place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm still waiting for, I'm still waiting for the moment that, that they have a moment together on screen because I mean, we've seen a yeah. young, a young Luke, in my opinion, successfully brought to life on screen of the book of Boba Fett and the end of Mandalorian. And we've also seen Hayden come back and play uh, Anakin for Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, like, let's, let's make it happen. Like, like, I don't know what, what they're waiting for, you know? Um, but I don't know. It is what it is. And I, I was really happy to have read this like book, you know, even as, if it's just for that little scene, I was like, that, that's, that's yeah. amazing. That was so cool. So um, it also references something that we talked about in the brotherhood book. Uh, there was a descriptor that was used for Anakin and his presence in the force being that of a sun dragon. Or something yeah. um, is something is a, a story that Shmi, his mother. Yeah, kinda, yeah, they name dropped that in. Here. Yeah, they name dropped it. That yeah, um, the signature of the dark side was unmistakable. Luke had sensed it in his father, Darth Vader. Vader had been a fire, a twisting sun dragon that curled in the core of a star, about to go super, about to go nova. The Emperor Palpatine had been the exact opposite. He was ice, terrifying cold of the bottom of the endlessly deep ocean, the abyssal plain in which there was no light, no hope, a cold so absolute, so ultimate, that all life withered in its presence. I was like, oh, that's such a great descriptor for each of those characters, but I love how they kind of threw in that little sun dragon kind of like yeah. title that, that they used before. Specifically, you know that there was some uh, interaction there between the two authors, for sure. Yeah, yeah, there definitely was, for sure. And I read the acknowledgments, and he, Mike Shen, his name dropped in there as well. As well as the, uh, I forget his name, is it Matt Stover, I think, the, the original author of the Revenge of the Sith novelization, which Mike Shen oh, pulled cool. that from, he also mm-hmm. is like mentioned in the acknowledgment for um, for. Uh, pulling from how that novelization opened is the same in which this novel opens okay. some sort of like forewarning of darkness to come. It was like on the first page of this novel, there's like this kind of almost like this prophecy kind of uh, paragraph. Mm-hmm. And I think that was pulling, it was either the exact same or pull it or pulled a lot from the original revenge of the Sith novelization that came out when the movie did. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. Uh, let's see here. Uh, do you got anything to bring up so far? Nope. This has been pretty straightforward. I know the thing that's been knocking the back of my head is right at the end. So, okay. All right. Um, sounds good here. Uh, let me see what's the next thing. Uh, we had our first appearance of a new lightsaber, which came out of, um, originally was a, was a creation for a star Wars book called dark legends. Um, there's been a few books in this series. One of them is called Myths and Fables. One of them is called Dark Legends. And another one, I believe, uh, I think it was called, uh, uh, I'm blanking on it, but uh, there was two or three or something of these books which had short stories. And Mm -hmm. they were 
these very kind of like fably kind of Star Wars stories that you didn't quite know whether or not they were canon or not. And it wasn't a Legends book. So it's like you could kind of look at the book as a canon material. Um, but a lot of these stories were like, oh, did they happen? Like, we'll never know. And um, the Skimtar lightsaber is right. yeah, a, a nice. direct product of one of those stories. So okay. this book essentially way, confirmed it's, the it's, canonicity of that little short story. That that it's pronounced about. it's pronounced scimitar. Scimitar. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, scimitar. Yeah. yeah. It's a uh, Middle Eastern blade. It's right. Curved. Yeah. It's a like curved blade. Yeah. I thought. Like, what are your thoughts yeah. on this curved lightsaber blade? Like the blade itself. I was curved. surprised when I heard it in the novel. I know my first thoughts were, "Oh, we're heading back to the EU." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one thing I actually didn't like about the EU. I like lightsaber axes and a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Now we got whips. Now we got we have flat. Uh, sabers with points being the dark saber we got scimitar blades which to me this i feel like the scimitar is probably the most ridiculous you can kind of argue the rest of them a little yeah, bit yeah but like now that you're doing this it's like we're gonna have like an axe or something or like we're gonna have a, a lightsaber hammer yeah yeah <laughs> so this uh this this lightsaber of um of darth noctis um, this story is called A Life Immortal, and it's found in the Dark Legends book. So if anyone wants to look it up, um, there's a few things There's a few things I want to bring up here. Uh, first, a little piece of reading here. Uh, Luke and Lorsa and Tekka had once tried to find the, rel- uh, the relics of Noctis years before, following a lead, uh, a group calling themselves the Acolytes of the Beyond, or amassing their own arsenal of Sith artifacts in some vain attempt to harness their dark powers. Instead, Luke and Lord found the Acolytes to be splintered, disorganized, uh, enamored more with the idea of the dark side than with learning how to truly wield that power. Uh, they may once have been a, a, a terror group uh, led, uh, oh, sorry, um, led by fanatics, uh, but that had been in the past. Uh, but it had not been a wasted expedition. Luke and Lorsenteca had retrieved a number of items, including Sith lightsabers, although the weapon of Darth Noctis had not been among them. And Luke had never been able to help one of the... Uh, Luke had even been able to help one of the Acolytes free herself from her cultish thrall. That was then. Now Luke had stumbled onto proof that Noctis was no uh, mere legend. Um, and uh, they kind of hinted at the backstory of this character that they go to in the book, which really helps them out a lot. Um, what was her name? Cat, uh, not Kaiza. It was the other one. Yeah, I was trying to remember it too. She's the one who was a Sith acolyte, but she, Luke actually managed to convert her yeah. away from the dark side. And then she and her droid companion were hiding out on this like super dangerous planet where everything is poison, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so Dark Legends book. It's out there. People can read the stories. Um, second thing, Acolytes of the Beyond. You know, I brought it up earlier. Uh, we we first introduced the, that story in, in the Aftermath books. That was many years ago. Um, it's kind of nice to finally see some payoff because I feel like that was just a story thread that just went nowhere. For like the longest time is like, what happened to the Acolytes of the Beyond? Like there's even a new Disney Plus show called The Acolyte. It has nothing to do with the Acolytes of the Beyond, but like, you know, what what's up with that storyline, right? Um, and, uh, it's kind of nice that they're finally tying things up a little bit in a nice little bow so we can just kind of move on. Um, but 
Luke's experience with them, was this a story that I missed or is this a backstory that's being provided for as original content for this novel? If that makes sense. Because it's hard to tell when something's an Easter egg and when something's original mm-hmm. backstory that's being made right. for the purpose of the story that we're reading and insinuating, no, yeah, agree. this is backstory that happened before, but it's actually not in a previous story, right? Yeah, so like, because the Sith Acolytes are tied to the Aftermath trilogy. So it's hard yeah. to know how much of that is just borrowed from that. Yeah, because I don't remember Luke showing up in any of those books. So I feel like uh, I feel like it was just something that maybe they made just from scratch. I guess, but I, I don't know. So, yeah, I I was under the assumption that it was new, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, subtle mention: they name dropped uh, Sith Lord Momin, uh, Momin, which is a. Um, it was a reference to the Lando Marvel comic series, which is a mini series just called Lando. And um, in that story, he encounters a few Sith artifacts. This is prior to the events of episode five, uh, possibly after episode four. And uh, he finds his way into a vault of Sith artifacts. There's a helmet mask thing um, from Sith Lord Momin that plays a story later on with Darth Vader. But um, it was kind of an interesting little name drop that it is mentioned. It's like, as part of the canon, Lando's had his fair share of uh, uh, dealings with Sith artifacts and, uh, you know, his uh, his own kind of personal experiences, like uh, witnessing kind of that weird power, whereas like a lot of people probably know, not know what the heck, you know, a Sith artifact is or like what any of these things are capable of doing to people. Um. Did you uh, catch the little side story that uh, Enric Pride popped up in this book? Yeah, Pride, which is then the the, the guy who replaces Hux in the yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, so he had yeah, a, a few that. chapters that he popped up in. Yeah, We find out he's Imperial, and he's a very by-the-book kind of guy, and he really doesn't like Ochi. <laughs> we also, it also mentions that he had a, a cloak Made out of Ewok pelts. <laughs> <laughs> like he wow. said, yeah, there was something about how he, he once owned, it, it, it dropped it somewhere where it said that he owned a, a cloak that was made of a family of Ewok pelts. And I was like, that's like, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that's horrific. But, but the peak of fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Um, One thing uh, along the, the storyline that's happening with him, though, is he, from his perspective, uh, he shares how he's working with these, they're kind of like Imperials, and they think that they're as big or as, as great as the Empire was, but they're like a joke mm-hmm. in comparison. They're called the Corporate Sector Authority. That's it. Yeah. And they were yeah. more like a security team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, it's kind of weird. I, I don't really... So um, there's one book that takes place after this. If you look at just all the staple Del Rey books, um, there, it's one called Bloodline. And in that novel, uh, it takes place closer to the events of The Force Awakens. Leia discovers that's, that... That's the Leia one. Yeah. yeah, Leia discovers that there's like uh, there's people funding kind of like um, other... Like they're training 
people uh, for being like troopers and stuff like that. But it's not necessarily first order, but it's kind of like insinuating that it could be like a proxy um, company that might have something to do with like sending people over to the first order later or something like that. It's it they, they make a very loose connection towards it because I think the book came out before episode seven. So they never actually did anything to um, uh, directly connect events. Um, yeah. But I feel like this name corporate sector authority, like I feel like it was definitely, it's definitely something that um, it's worth remembering um, because it could have come up later in other stories. There was an indirect a mention of it in Catalyst, a Rogue One novel. And it was also mentioned in Before the Awakening, which is a prior to Episode 7 book. Uh, there is a Legends tab on this uh, particular company. And um, it mentions that they were kind of like working in the Outer Rim Territories. And uh, I, I don't really know like when it first kind of popped up but it's made a presence in a few different a few different um star wars stories in the past and that was that was a long time ago so um yeah mm -hmm. it's like it was it was an interesting little inclusion for sure that it's like oh hey yeah these people used to work for the empire now they've kind of like become their own private sector thing and uh it's uh, possible okay. it's possible that maybe yeah, like a lot of them ended up just joining the first order like at the moment that they had the chance to do it it's is this the first order then no it so it's, it's not because it, it, it's not okay, officially it the first seem order. Like it was. no but they're but they're still like they're still friendly with um like with Archie of bestoon apparently it kind of insinuates that there's people in the higher ranks of this corporate sector authority that might be working with the first order as a part of like maybe a like a one of those like uh what do you call it like um uh, almost like a sleeping villain in a way. Like it's like you know that this that these people involved with the corporate sector authority are are going to be part of the first order later, and mm -hmm. it only tells the the perspective from people lower than the full top. So it, as readers, we can just assume maybe this company is actually part of the first order, but because they haven't revealed themselves yet they don't know what they are yet until right until boom first kinda, order first order comes yeah. out of nowhere start taking over you know taking over the uh the outer rim territories and the unknown regions <laughs> and all of a sudden this guy enric pride who's like what's he calling himself like a high colonel or something i don't remember the rank he kind of yeah. made up a rank for himself yeah so it was kind of weird but um you know it's like it's natural to assume like oh they're going to they're going to kind of give him like a moth position or something as soon as, as soon as the first order becomes like a thing. Right. But that faction doesn't exist yet in the galaxy. Yeah. Like there, there is no first yeah, order. He's, yet, he's, right? he's hedging his bet to get yeah. top ranks when this, when the final hand is played. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, did you want to bring up more about um, that out of left field? Like let's hide Ray on Jakku. Uh, did we bring that up yet? Or did you want to bring that up? Uh, well, we can talk about that a bit. So what happens uh, essentially is they're they're on the run from Ochi. They've been on the run for a while now at this point, and they're trying to figure out. They think the best option is to hide Ray to save her from him, and then they leave as a distraction, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they decide that 
the best place to hide her is the place where Ochi first found them because you would never think to go back to the original place that um, you found a person, right? You wouldn't expect them to go back there again when there's a whole galaxy to, to go instead. So they go back and they, they leave for Jakku and they decide to essentially pay off uh, Plut, right? Yeah. They decide to pay him off because they, they realize that he's kind of a... He's a very self-serving person, so he's not really going to ally himself with either side. He's going to go with whoever's going to give him the best deal. So they make a deal with him to look after Ray for them, and they're supposed to return within a year or so. Right. And yeah. obviously that never happens. But... Yeah, their their whole plan is uh, at one point they had, there's like an audio connection between Ray's family and Lando who claims... I'm here to help. I'm with a Jedi. We can help you kind of thing. And then they're like, oh, cool. And then they kind of get away. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on at once. But their plan is let's ditch Ray somewhere. We'll just so she's safe. We'll kind of lead Achi and our pursuers away from her. We'll deal with them while we try and find and meet up with Lando and the Jedi. And then we can go back for Ray when it's safe. And that's their whole yeah. plan, right? Like they come up with that kind of like on a whim. And instead they go to space and get murdered 20 minutes later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They literally like, they take off Yaku, they get stabbed, boom, they're, they're done. And Lando. And yeah. Like Luke they didn't never... even get to another planet. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but then again, it, it goes back to that conversation of like, it has to link up with the movies, which were such a fractured yeah. storytelling process that, you know, like the plot for episode nine all the stuff on Pasana with Achi and all that stuff, none of that had anything to do with JJ when he was writing episode seven. Even though he did both movies, Achi was a creation for Rise of Skywalker. He was not a creation for Force yeah. Awakens. But the plot yeah, line sure. was the same. So when episode eight came out and Kylo Ren says, like, you know, well, your parents were just filthy junk traders who were selling you off for drinking money. Like that was, which is now kind of true because that's how Plot knew them. He was there; they were there selling, uh, yeah, like scavenged parts and stuff, right? That is true, actually. Yeah. Um. So in there's like a small grain of truth in that, but of course it's not the reason why they left her there. Like they they paid Uncle Plot to look after her just so that he, you know she'd be safe until they can come back, right? And they weren't, yeah, drunks, from an outside right? perspective, that might be that might have been, yeah, that might have been, yeah, exactly. So, from a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, that's true. Uh, that's true. Um, but I feel like when that movie came out, like that was like, oh, that's the truth. Like that's, that's all that yeah. is to it. Like that ship that she's like, no, come back. No. Like, I feel like that yeah. was, it's like what, you know, maybe that, maybe that was all that needed to happen for us to kind of really forget about the whole who Ray's parents thing is because that was part of that story. Like Ray, it, it was like uh, uh, to her, it no longer was important who her parents were. It was about who she is. And that's what I really liked about that movie and that story. But, um, of course, like when and episode nine came out, yeah. And then they backpedal yeah. episode nine came out. It's like, Oh, now her whole family lineage is important again. And, um, yeah. and it's like, okay, well, you know, disregarding the chapter in between episode seven and nine, I mean, like there's two different perspectives of like what's going on here. So it, this book had the really challenging efforts of like, we have to, make episode seven make sense and all those flashbacks with Ray on Jakku. And then we also have to tie in the stuff from episode nine and like make that make all sense. So it literally, it was kind of, kind of janky. Like the, the book was great, but then towards the end of the book, 
you know, we get to this point where it's like, okay, yeah, they dish Jakku. 20 minutes later, they're stabbed, they're dead, and Achi is off to Pisana on a buffoon thought thinking that Ray's there, right? So it's like this really weird kind of like rigid ending, which I don't think would have happened if, if they didn't need to tie into the movies. Um, but I still appreciate no, it, it trying to... I still appreciate the effort in trying to bridge the gap. It doesn't make it any more smooth, though, for me. And then they just write him out of the story by making him a drunk that just falls into a pit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, we can get into that. But I also want to talk about the Sith Lord, how he dies, too, because it's just as stupid. So, Ochi, he's such a drunk that he's run out of alcohol on a ship. So he starts drinking motor oil and it's apparently a lot stronger than he thought it was going to be. He's riding a speeder bike and just goes into one of those coffee bean pits that uh, Ray and Finn fall into, into the snake hole. And that's how he dies. <laughs> Which like, how does he die in that? When he dies drinking motor oil and driving into a hole. So is it the motor oil that killed him or is it the snake thing in the pit? No. Because uh, the sand it, itself it, is no, just it a, doesn't say. Yeah, it doesn't say. He just like it basically just says he suffocates as he falls into into like the the pit of the like the black yeah kind of coffee bean rubber or whatever. Yeah, it's just and, and that's just it, right? It's like okay, well, I he can't, fell in there because he was drunk from motor oil. The the whole thing is like, you know, it, it just it seems weird when when the ending of the book hits because because the movie is that odd, right? Because it's like the reasons for all of this happening is like none of this makes sense. So I don't know. For, for me, I was like, I feel like Ochi's just not that kind of guy. Like I didn't get the idea through the whole movie that he was a drunk. Right. Until the very ending. Well, no, maybe it's because I listened to the audiobook and they, the guy doing the voices made him sound like he was drunk the whole time, but him and his, the two guys that he works with kind of his go-to hired henchman who he turns on and stabs. Um, they are often drunk at the cantinas. And that's when Lando first meets them, right? They're like, they're, they're just hammered. Right. And, then that right. Happens, and they start a big bar fight and they, they skip town or whatever. Um, and then they run, that happens again. There's a second time where the, I think they're at a the cantina as well. And he's drunk again. See, I don't get how he was this super successful Sith assassin that had Palpatine's exactly like, Palpatine's uh, blessing to go off, like literally whispering in his ear from a million miles away on Exegol, saying him, giving him, he's the chosen one for this mission to go and hunt down Ray. Like, of course, I mean, yeah. he has to be the chosen one because the movie made him that way. But I mean, why would you pick a drunk? Like, like why would you pick someone who's so drunk that he's even, drinking yeah. motor oil out of his ship. Like, it just makes no sense, it's, man. It's like, like, that's the thing. You're not even a drunk at that point. You're just stupid. Like, it's yeah. an idiotic thing to do. Yeah. And he, he does random stuff like that throughout the whole story that just make him feel like he's a he's a comical character. Like, he, he hires the droid pirates of Bestoon, and they just completely foible everything. Yeah. They're just completely useless. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the second time that he's done it and he keeps going like, oh i shouldn't have done that they did that last time oh concern it like he just he just feels like a fool so and that's not what i got from uh his character being the one chosen by palpatine like it doesn't make sense yeah i know it doesn't yeah 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to finally get the story. So I enjoyed the story of kind of where we got to, but I think his character should have been more serious. I think so too. I think I think like what little that we got in episode nine was for me is like, okay, that's a scary looking guy. And yeah. from, from the Vader comics, he was not that buffoonery. Like he actually was able to combat Vader in a pretty successful way. Uh, mind you, Vader was like, you know, he, he, he wasn't at his full peak of power or anything. He was, he was like limbless and it was like a test that Palpatine was putting him through. But um, either way, he like earned their respect enough to kind of get granted access to Exegol at one point and have all this stuff happen to him while he was there. But it, it was just the kind of thing I was like, I, I just don't understand why he was elected for this mission if, if he's known to be a certain way. If he's known to so be buffoonery, yeah, yeah. If he's known to be foolish, he would not be the one that's looking, that's hunting down Ray, right? Um, so, uh, you know, and the Palpatine's a very uh, resourceful guy. I'm sure there's other people out there that he can go to for that kind of thing. Yeah, so, exactly. Like Boba or you know, yeah. Dengar or somebody. Yeah. So, so I feel like there may have been just a better way to kind of wrap up his demise. Like there may have been just been, I don't know. I like again, like. They had, he he had to come up. Yeah. He had to come up with a reason for him to be on Passan in the first place. But then it's like killing him off. I feel like there could have been like a, maybe a different way to do it, but the book is already quite long. And this happens in like the second last chapter Mm -hmm. that he goes to Passana. So it really was cutting short, you know, I think of what could have been, but that's just why was he, why do you have to be drinking motor oil? Like that's the part I don't get. Why, why make him that stupid? (laughs) (laughs) Or it's like antifreeze or something. But yeah, he, yeah. why not just have him searching on the planet and maybe he, I don't know, he's got to fight something and that, I don't know, he runs into that snake and falls yeah. into the hole or something. Yeah, exactly. Something, yeah. right? Right. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some pirates show up, you know, shoot his speeder down, you know, yeah. he ends up in the caves and then the, sp- yeah, the, like the snake like comes that, after him. Right. Right. Just unfortunate, yeah. An unfortunate event. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but it's still not as stupid as how the Sith Lord dies. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about it for me. <laughs> it's so well. We haven't explained that storyline really at all. Okay, so um, um, so Kaiza of Corellia, who once led the acolytes of the Beyond, uh, the one who Yuptashu, the Emperor's advisor, gave her that Sith Lord's mask, and eventually the mask uh, grants her the the lightsaber, um, scimitar. Um, but uh, she's. She's looking for a wayfinder to navigate. Sorry, she she's looking for a way to get to Exegol, and it happens to be kyber crystals that Luke and Lor Senteca find earlier in the book. And these kyber crystals act as almost like a band aid for anyone who doesn't have a wayfinder device, because the way that these crystals work is they are through the Force attracted to their source. The source being yeah. that giant mountain of a kyber mountain. that Achi burned his his eyes out, right? So these are like fractions but, of that of that thing. Yeah. So her all I plan... can do is tell you a straight direction how to get there. And as Luke points out, even if they manage to get to where the the uh, I forget the part of space it is, but it's like the, the, the nebula, part, the red nebula. Neb- yeah, but yeah. It, it has no way to get you through that part, which is supposed to be impassable unless you have a wayfinder. That's right. Um, that's also where he initially finds her, is on the edge of the nebula on an asteroid. Um, she's, like, camped up there. And I thought it was interesting that he actually goes as far as that nebula 
and Exegol's on the other side of it, but he actually doesn't go through or anything like that. He encounters her there, yeah. leaves her half for dead, kind of in a hurry to rescue Lando, and doesn't yeah. finish the job. And then she kind of, she's resurrected sort of by the droids who kind of use yeah. the mask to possess her corpse with the Sith Lord. And so the Sith Lord is now driving her corpse wearing the mask. Yeah, and now she's fully possessed. Yeah, now she's fully possessed, yeah. yeah. And she's been cybernetically rebuilt. Yeah, and then uh, and, so, and then they have one last fight. Yeah, and then they have another fight, and this time Luke can tell that he's not fighting her; he's fighting the actual Sith Lord. Yeah, and the ending is just so stupid. <laughs> it's just so dumb. So there's this epic fight going on, and then this lizard comes out of nowhere and just grabs the Sith Lord and just like goes into the distance with him, and just they just. He's just presumed dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like some big, huge, like creature that has yeah. nothing to do with the fight. Pops nothing to up do with anything. And just eats it. Just, it. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like they, yeah, they just like didn't know how to end the fight. So they just like rode in this like giant, like a, like say a T Rex or something. Yeah. I think it's more like a serpent. And it just bites. It doesn't even, I, I don't even think it swallows the Sith Lord. I think it just like carries it away in its mouth. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, and uh, and it's just and it just I, pulls I it back down to its. I was flabbergasted, home. absolutely flabbergasted when I read that. Like this is this like it, the story was going so well, yeah, and then just this this complete left hand turn. It was just the stupidest thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I th- like that, like it, it it was it was a pretty good story for all for all intents and purposes. The story served a purpose in trying to bridge the gap, right? Like I think that's all the book was supposed to do, but it did a terrible job at the demise of the two main villains of the story, which was Achi exactly. and this Kaiza person who ends up becoming Darth Noctis in a corpse. Um, that's that's pretty much the which whole. Which is cool. Which is cool, yeah. And I thought that was a really cool storyline where this uh, this character who Luke's trying to save, and then she just she. Decides, mm-hmm. no, this is what she wants to do. And then she dies, and the Sith Lord still has capability to like possess her body. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, that was neat. Yeah. And then it just didn't go anywhere. Yeah, the big dragon pops up out of nowhere. I'm like, boom. <laughs> like, dude, like, why? Like, between that and like, motor oil, it's like, I'm pretty sure there's better ways to like kill people. It was off. like written by a 10 year old. <laughs> They should have consulted with like the Game of Thrones writers and say, "What's an interesting way to kill somebody?" You know, like that's all it takes. Just just a little bit of a asking around, like you know, how would you prefer a Sith Lord to die? I mean, like like I don't know. Like I I personally would have loved to have seen Luke actually win a lightsaber duel and have that thing just kind of disintegrate in a way that maybe like Voldemort might have disintegrated, and then and then the mask maybe clunks onto the ground and or then. He- and yeah, then I mean, uh, he slices, cool. or like or like stabs it like right through the mask, and then the mask just like just like the uh, the Witch King in Lord of the Rings, just like whole thing, just like the power just like sucks into itself, right? And yeah, explodes. There was like, a part. Cool. There was that part of the fight though that so okay, so it's only like half a reason that that this Sith Lord dies from the serpent thing. Um, there's uh, the other reason is um, at one point he pulls a tactic of trying to f- launch his own mask at Luke's face to try and possess Luke he as his go, next parasite. His, yeah. Yeah. Right. But then that doesn't go as planned and Luke slices the mask into, into 
into two two sections because he at this point has the simtar lightsaber right. and his own. So he kills the mask, yeah. which essentially does I'd technically because the lizard's so stupid. Yeah, so he technically does. I think he technically does kill the Sith Lord by killing the mask. But then what happens next is the the corpse that he was infecting um, gets yeah. eaten, right? And it's like I feel like that didn't need to happen. Like it was just like one of those things that's like, well, <laughs> it overshadowed okay. the whole thing. Yeah, it just kind of ruined the moment, you know? Like kind of killed it. And I was like, and Luke, all right. And it just talks about how Luke's just standing there as the the serpent's just like hobbling off into the into the horizon, like the end of Indiana Jones. <laughs> so, there should be a, a short story in the next short story book all about this like serpent is like longing for his next meal, and it just all of a sudden like he just slowly hunts like the the people fighting on the surface of his home, and then bursts out and chomp, yeah. and then goes Same. back. I don't know. Like it's just yeah, it's a little a little ridiculous, but. Um, Okay, just out of out of uh, five Pablo points, if we were to give it um, a score of five Pablo points, how many Pablo points would you award this novel? It's it's really hard to rate. I'm going to be honest because it's got some really good stuff. It mm-hmm. fills in some really important storylines, but it makes some really stupid foibles as well. Yeah, definitely. I want to. I want, when we started the podcast, I probably would have gave it a four. Mm-hmm. But remembering a lot of these stupid decisions, um, I'd probably give it more like three and a half. Yeah. So I think three to three and a half. I would give it um I would give it probably three based on the story. Uh, no, you know what? No, sorry, I take it back. Um I, I'm I'm if you take out the scene with Anakin and Luke, if you t- if you just took that right out of the book. It's a flat 2.5 Pablo points for me. I think, like, I read it once. I'm never going to read it again. Like, it was just, like, a coasting kind of positive experience of a Star Wars novel in in oversight, kind of. It's just, like, overall. But um, if you throw in all the cool bits, especially that chapter with Luke and his father, I think I, I got to give it, like, a three, maybe three and a half Pablo points. Um, but, again, that was such a small part of the yeah. book. And, uh, and there was some pretty cool moments with Luke and Laura Santeca. I really appreciated those moments as well. And some of the writing for this uh, over, like, this shadowy kind of presence of the Sith, like, throughout the book is really, really well done. So, like, yeah, just for that alone, like, you know, I, I got to say 3, 3.5, I think, is, like, is probably the best way to put it. If there was less kind of buffoonery moments with the villains, it could definitely yeah. have my full respect as, like, a four, maybe four and a half Pablo I agree. Book. That was entirely the weak point. Yeah, all the the buffoonery. It was. just overshadows so much when you hit a bump in the road like that, and it's like, oh, like that kind of sucked. Like, so yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially but. because if they had just written it with the same kind of level of intensity as in the High Republic series when we're dealing with mm-hmm. uh, what are those guys called? Oh, the Nile. The um, the, the Nile Hill. Like, if they just like that level of seriousness, it would have been great. Yeah, it, it probably would have. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I guess that's all we got for this particular episode. And, uh, you know, right, right around the corner we have um, next week, we've we've got the premiere of Andor and, and a few other things happening on the podcast in the near future. So um, I don't know what our next book review is going to be, but we'll figure that out at some point whenever we got more time to dive into one of those. Uh, so thank you, sir, for joining us uh, on, on this one. And 
I guess uh, any any last minute things you want to say? Otherwise, we'll catch you in the next one. No, just thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure being on the show and chatting Star Wars with you. It's always a good time. So thanks for the invite. And uh, I look forward to the next one. To all our listeners out there, see you out there. Keep flying. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you made it uh, all the way through this book review, uh, both Blake and I really appreciate uh, seeing seeing our audience kind of grow, and uh, you know anyone who's posting five stars on the platform that you can leave a rating for. Uh, it always it helps us out a lot. It uh, it really does. You know, it brings in uh, more audience members who can discover Star Wars Escape Pod for themselves, and uh, it's, it just brings a smile to our face when we uh, we know someone really appreciates us sitting down and chatting star wars because we love doing it uh it makes us even more happy to know that people out there are actually listening to the show so if you can continue sharing star wars escape pod with your friends send them a link to uh, a platform that they use to listen to podcasts with you can find it on just about any single one of them uh apple google amazon pandora spotify of course uh, just about, you know, you name it, iHeartRadio, the list goes on. So um, there's multiple ways you can reach us at Star Wars Escape Pod. You can shoot us an email at SWEscapePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, there's a Twitter and an Instagram as well, which is at SWEscapePodcast. There's also a link in the description to our Discord server, and it's quite small, but there's a few useful tools on there to follow Star Wars news and the podcast RSS, as well as announcements for new podcast episodes. There's a link to our voicemail in the description where you can leave a voice recording. You know, we'd love to hear your opinions on Shadows of the Sith as well. So feel free to send them in. You can also send in a voice recording to our email address. And with Andor right around the corner coming out next week on Wednesday, you can look forward to the first three episodes dropping on Disney+. Plus. We're going to be talking about those in the following days after. And we're really looking forward to that. So... Thank you once again for joining Star Wars Escape Pod, and may the Force be with you.